Acts chapter 17. It's not your traditional Christmas story, but it sure is all about the gospel of Christmas, the good news and great joy and how it's impacting the world. There in Acts chapter 17, we're going to take a look at that after we have a word of prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, we turn our hearts toward heaven to consider your word. We know that the Bible says that the word of God didn't have its origin in any man, but that it is God-breathed, sent from heaven, from God, to save us, to show us the way to be reconciled to God through Christ our Lord. So we ask, Father, for your Holy Spirit's help. Help us make sense, Lord, especially those who are uh, not used to hearing about the gospel or being in church. Just, just help them to understand, Lord, in a, in a balanced way, just with a blessing from the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, here in Acts 17, this is our, our place that we have scheduled to be at. We're studying through uh, the book of Acts, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and it just so happens that because the gospel is the good news about Christmas, it really makes sense to just kind of stay the course and stay uh, on track here in our studies through the book of Acts. And so uh, we are going to see uh, and talk about the gospel. The Savior has been born uh, to save his people from their sins, Christ the Lord. And we've been seeing in the book of Acts how that very message has kind of turned the world upside down. Now, I, I really want to kind of make my case for that the gospel that we talk about every day, that Christians live every day, is really the gospel of Christmas. It's the Christmas story every day. Let me show you a few scriptures to, to explain what I mean. Here's the basic announcement of where we get the word gospel. And it comes from an angel telling the shepherds, right? Don't be afraid. I bring you good news. Now, that's the word that will be the summation of the entire plan that God has to save people, called the good news or the gospel. That's just an old English word. Good news, great joy will be for everyone. Today in the town of David, there in Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, but who else is he? The Lord. Okay, so we got it all right there. The Christmas story as announced before even uh, Jesus has grown. But when Jesus has grown, he says the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And there it is again. What good news? The good news that the angel brought and said, hey, God has come near in Christ. That God has become a human being to seek and save the lost. And then there are other scriptures as well. So what were the early disciples doing day after day in the temple courts and from house to house? They never stopped teaching, proclaiming the good news. And there it is again. What good news? The good news the angel said. I bring you good news of great joy. God has come to the world through Christ to seek and save the lost, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's the gospel of what the early church was preaching there. You can see Acts chapter 8 and verse 12. That's what all they were preaching was called the gospel. And then a couple more. Mark 16, 15, the Lord speaking, now go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. What good news? The good news that the angel brought. The good news of great joy to all people that today in the city of David, Bethlehem, uh, a savior has been born to you, Christ the Lord. Gabriel tells Mary, He's, you name him Jesus because he's gonna save his people from their sins and so, the gospel message that Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed. There it is, the good news. What good news? Well, by now, you, you know where I'm headed with this, right? <laughs> the good news that the angel brought about Christmas. And, and here's the deal. The power of God is kind of encoded in the Christmas story that when it collides with a believing heart, it brings Salvation, the Holy Spirit comes into the believing heart, 
gives new birth, what Jesus says, you have to be born again to see heaven, and that's the Christmas story, the good news, it's the power of God for salvation for everyone. Oh, there's a caveat to those who believe. You open your heart, and the word there doesn't mean to believe that there is a God, because lots of people believe there is a God, including the devil, and, and that hasn't benefited him much, right? So you, you, you have to believe in God. That means you kind of trust in him. You throw yourself upon him, and it reflects in the way you live your life. And so this morning in Acts 17, where we thank you for those scriptures, uh, we find ourselves now 50 years from the time when the angel came and announced the good news of great joy. 50 years has passed. 20 years from when Jesus said, take this good news of great joy to the whole world, because it's going to change going to bring salvation. It's God's plan, right? And so 20 years from there. So 50 in all from the time of the first Christmas. And we find ourselves, the good news of great joy has reached Athens, Greece. So we are going to Europe for Christmas. <laughs> all right. Well, it's going to be a letdown when you find out that it's just going to be on the screen. Now, uh, the Apostle Paul is going to proclaim the gospel of Christmas, the good news of Christmas, to a completely pagan uh, Greek audience. They're very high-minded skeptics, and it's Greece, folks. It's, it's Athens. It's the seat of wisdom and uh, scholastic academic ability, and so uh, there are a lot of skeptics there. So we're going to look at that, how he's going to bring the Christmas story to a setting where people don't go to church, they're not versed in the Bible. And so for Christians, it's a very helpful passage to see how a Christian uh, kind of builds a bridge and finds common ground to bring this message of Christmas to folks who are very skeptical and very well educated. So if you know people like that, that you care about because you're a believer, you believe that the Bible says that if you don't believe, there, there's, there's, you're in harm's way. And so out of a heart of love, I mean, you're a believer. You want them to know. And so there's great insights here for us. Uh, and uh, as, as we are all kind of in their shoes, bringing the Christmas story to a lost world, as far as the Bible is concerned. So now let's say you weren't here last week. Let me show you, get you caught up in context where we are. Here's a map of what's called the second missionary journey. And uh, the missionary, the gospel has left Jerusalem now, and it's kind of spreading, just like the Lord told them to do, in ever-widening circles throughout the land. And the Holy Spirit, in the book of Acts, kind of traces the growth of the gospel and the Christian church through Antioch, is the sending church, and then through Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Troas, all of those four cities are modern-day Turkey. So then uh, the gospel goes across the Aegean Sea there to Philippi, Berea, and Thessalonica. That's where we have just been. And those three cities are now modern-day Greece. All right, so everything on this side is modern-day Greece, and the gospel will go to Europe. And this morning, our section deals with the travels from uh, Berea to Athens, that's our text. That's the context. The context is really this. They've been thrown out of town at every town they go to. Uh, why? Because they're bringing good news of great joy that shall be to all people. <laughs> I know. I know, right? I mean, seriously, it's kind of one of those things for Christians. It's like, hey, I, I, I bring you great joy. There's a savior. And, you know, that, so they want to kill them. Um, so... So they're chasing them from town to town. We're going to talk more about that. But the, he says great joy. I bring you great joy that will be for everybody who believes, right? So just the other day, I'm at Kmart. And I, yeah, I know. <laughs> it gets worse from there. So I'm checking out. And uh, I have a few little things of Christmas stuff for my office, right? Just, and uh, she says, and how are you? And I said, awesome. And she said, awesome? You don't hear that anymore. 
She goes, why are you awesome? And I was like, oh. <laughs> How does this happen? I get so lucky. Like all 777, bingo. I get the... So I said, awesome. I, I said, oh, I got a savior. I've got a savior. I'm going to heaven. Jesus. Blank stare. Right? The lady behind me. Eyeballs rolled so big I could hear them. I could hear them. You know? Listen, here's the crazy making part for me. There's Christmas music playing in the background. There's Christmas merchandise here. The store's getting rich on Christmas, right? There's Christmas decorations everywhere. The ladies' basket next to me, the eye roller, it's loaded with what? Christmas stuff. Christmas, 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 Christmas. And then all I say, with Hark the Herald playing behind me, is... I have a savior. <laughs> Somebody, really, I need a therapist. I know there are a couple. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's go on. Now, this good news of great joy is going to turn the world upside down, and we've been watching that happen. So the context is what? The context is, whoa. <laughs> the context is a bomb just went off, and okay, a the context is they just got kicked out of Philippi. They were arrested, beaten, thrown into jail, and shackled. Then they escaped to Thessalonica, where an angry mob kicked them out of town. And then they went to Berea, where the angry mob from Thessalonica now has followed. All right? So here we go, verse 13. But when the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, because some of them believed actually, so when the unbelieving Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, oh no, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So let's pause there. If you're taking notes, there'll be three points. One here now, a hostile reception, a uh, hostile reaction in keeping with Jesus' words. He warned us about that. So they're off to Athens, and so good. I'm glad that uh, that's up there. He's going to take the brothers, the believers, the brand new baby Christians say, Paul, you're, you're in harm's way. We got to get you on a boat, get you out of here. So they escort him from the port up there, there by Thessalonica, and he travels 300 miles with the newbies. The new Christians are saying, hey man, go to Athens. There's enough there to keep you busy. <laughs> and, and so they, they take him to Athens and he sends them back and he says, I'll stay here until you get Silas and Timothy to come back and meet me here. So all I'm doing is hanging out here, waiting. So he's kind of a tourist. He's waiting for the two uh, brothers to join them. Then they're going to move in according to God's plan. Well, let's talk about getting chased out of town there a little bit, all right? And thank you for the map. The, the, the hostility, we see it a lot about the gospel and also about Christmas. You know, they're, they're, you always hear it around this time of year that, you know, you can't sing Christmas carols here or the manger scene is offensive and all of that. But what's up with that? Because why can't you just say, hey, it's a Christian holiday. I don't buy it. But, you know, you know everybody, let's tolerate everybody, including the Christians. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking there. But okay, what, what about uh, instead uh, we see anger and rage and violence? And uh, that was, that's very sad. Now, I started thinking, what's up with those unbelieving Jews that chase them out of town, causing the riots, throwing them into jail, beating them like that? What, why? So I started thinking, number one, Christmas is a corrective story. It corrects you. Right? So Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So, so repent just means metanaeo in the Greek. All it means is to turn. So it's a correction. Now, he says that's good news. 
because it's God's perspective that you need to turn, and therein lies the rub, right? It's just that God is saying, God, not Christians, we're just saying this is what God said, we believe it, so we're kind of stuck because we got to preach this unpopular truth. Uh, let me give you an example. The good news, not being considered good news, uh, the fire department is here, but it means your house is on fire, right? So... <laughs> But you may not believe that your house is on fire, and you know your house, and you, know, you don't smell smoke, and what do you mean my house is on fire? If my house is on fire, I'll call the police or the fire department. So, so it's not good news to you that the fire trucks are pulling up, right? In fact, you're a little bit offended. Uh, the police are here, don't worry. There's a cop on the scene. Uh, you're being robbed. What do you mean I'm being robbed? Well, you're being robbed. Life is being taken away from you, the person you're supposed to be, you know, the truth. It's being robbed if I go spiritual, right? Well, you'd have to accept the fact that there's a reason you need the police and a reason you need the fire department, and that's the problem if you don't receive the kind of the bad news. Uh, maybe one more. The defense attorney has accepted your case. You know what that means? What does that imply? That you're in trouble, okay? That's what that means. It, it means you're being prosecuted for a serious offense. And guess who the judge is? The judge is the one who made heaven and earth and made you. And you've committed crimes. You've committed crimes against him. But the good news is there's a judge and it's him. It's the one you've offended. Is He is the lawyer. He's the defense attorney, I should say, who came down and paid what you owed. And if you just turn to him and trust, you'll be forgiven. You see, but if you're saying, I didn't commit no crime, and who are you calling a sinner? And, and, and uh, one guy told me the other day, I, I said, well, what, what about your sins? And he says, I don't believe in sins. So I said, uh, what if you're wrong? And he goes, I'm not. Well, how do you know? I said this to him. I said, have you ever been wrong in your whole life? And he goes, yeah. Is it possible, I just say, is it within the realm of possibility that perhaps you could be wrong and the Bible could be right? Is it within the realm of possibility? No. <laughs> well, you know, that's as far as you can go with those kinds of conversations, right? So, yeah, you know, why do I need to repent? Well, yeah. That's what the Lord said. Um, this is the verdict Jesus said. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So the Lord kind of gave that, the disciples and us a heads up as to what to expect when we bring the gospel of good, uh, good news and great joy, right? He says, uh, people who want to stay in the dark don't appreciate it when you flip the lights on. And so he said in John chapter 7, verse 7, he says, the reason the world hates me is because I accuse it of being evil, right? And then in John chapter 15, if you're taking notes, he said, listen, if they hate you, keep in mind that they didn't like me very much. He said, if they obeyed my message, they would obey yours, but my message wasn't well received. Therefore, the message that you bring, which is my message, or it better be, <laughs> better be his message, will not be, for the most part, very well received. And so he kind of gave everybody a heads up. He said, look what, I, look what happened to me. I came preaching the truth in love. If it happened to me, then it's going to happen to you. And we saw it happening there. All through these chapters, you know, yeah, it's a popular trend to just want to do away with anything that reminds us of, you know, the worst part, of course, is Christ is the Lord. So it corners you. Uh, I bring you great good news of great joy that shall be for everybody. Uh, Today a savior has been born. Who is he? Christ the Lord. So one commentator said, if you like calling your own shots and running your own life, the goodness 
and the good news that Jesus is Lord is actually not very good news at all, you see. Okay, so we see that. Now, Paul's a tourist in the most uh, famous city, and I like how the Holy Spirit is using all of this persecution to direct the ministry, right? Uh, The gospel would not be going where it's going unless there was somebody persecuting, right? So in Matthew chapter 10, it says, when they persecute you in one place, go to another. So the Lord is actually using the misfortune and the pain and the suffering actually in a redemptive way to bring light and life to to places he knows uh, people need to be saved. And so let's see what happens here now. 16 through 21. So Paul's waiting. He's a tourist. He's waiting around, uh, verse 16, for them in Athens. He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicureans and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. Hmm. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news. There it is. The good news, where'd that come from? Oh, yeah, the good news of great joy that shall be to all people. For this day in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you, Christ the Lord. Death has been defeated. You can live forever. Your sins are going to be paid for. I bring you good news. Oh, sorry. All right. (laughs) Paul was preaching that good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. Now the Holy Spirit throws in a a parenthetical statement here, verse 21, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Now, we have places like that around, don't we? Now, let's pause there. We've gone from a hostile reaction to number two, a grieved heart. Now, Paul has a grieved heart. The word there uh, is a strong one. It's in the Greek, paraxuno, and it means to be poked with a hot knife. Now, he was irritated, angered. There's a lot of words you could use. He was grieved. He was upset. He was, as your NIV has it, greatly distressed. Why? Well, he's a believer, and he he actually has had an encounter with the Lord. He's had a changed life. He knows he was on the road to hell. Now, because of God's mercy, all his sins are gone. He's going to go to heaven. And he actually cares about people around him. He identifies. He feels empathy. It's like, hey, man, I used to be lost. I didn't worship idols, but I worshiped myself and other things. I can relate. I feel feel, uh, anxiousness. I feel a brokenness. I'm watching people prostrate themselves before inanimate objects, bowing to the work of their hands. And they're raising their little kids and, and they're, they're walking out of temple shrines where there are temple prostitutes with their little kids. His heart was distressed and grieved and rightfully so. And notice in the text that says his heart was distressed that they were, the word there is smothered in idols, full, like swamped with idols. And, and, and so when he noticed that, so he began to throw out some good news. You see, he was motivated by the grief in his heart that others are estranged from the God who loves him and so loved the world that he gave his only son. It should be in every Christian's heart a broken desire to care, to care about what Jesus clearly says will happen. He who has the son has life. But Jesus speaking, he who rejects the son shall not see life for the wrath of God remains upon him or her. 
Dear seeker and unbeliever present among us, please, please understand the plight of the believer. We're, we're stuck. We actually believe that sentence. That's what's behind our constant checking in on you and, and telling you about Jesus and concern for you is this that we believe Jesus' words that you're in harm's way. And that's what happened to Paul. He looked around and said, man, alive. And, and the word can be getting angry but, you know, he sees the spiritual warfare behind all those idols and, and the, the devil, as it were, laughing with his henchmen at, at this wise city, Athens. With the wisdom of the world, democracy, science, mathematics, and men bowing down to the works of their hands, going into temple shrines and worshiping in the most I, I, idolatrous and immoral ways. How could this be, he's saying. And so he's in the marketplace. He's waiting on his friends. And he just says, hey, I got some good news. And there he was telling the good news out of a compassion in his heart. Let me tell you, it's a pretty famous city. Those universities, art, sciences were born there. 500 years before Paul came to the city, that was the time of Socrates and then Plato and then Aristotle, and then Alexander the Great. 30,000 public statues in the city at that time. In fact, there was a byword that if you wanted uh, to meet somebody in Athens, you'd be, uh, you would better off meeting a god before you met another human being because of their penchant for idolatry. And so he's looking around and his heart is uh, disturbed, and he, and he says, this is where wisdom gets you. All this wisdom, and, and you're going to find your, your satisfaction through money or through things or through uh, pleasure. Is that the, the height and pinnacle of the world's wisdom? Comes short from God's wisdom. Here's what Paul says about God's wisdom. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The gospel doesn't make sense to most people, but it's God's wisdom. And so he's distressed, he's motivated. He, your text in verse 17 says he, he goes to the Jewish neighborhoods and he works with those in the synagogues, uh, but to no avail. The Bible says it kind of falls flat. Listen, when, when you're talking to people who think they've arrived and that they're smarter than most people, it's very, very difficult for you to bring a message because they already feel like they're already together. There's no need. And, and uh, that's what's happening here. So at the marketplace, it says in your text, daily, he's sharing the gospel. You know, I picture it kind of like Hyde Park in London. Uh, I actually, when I was in high school, I won an essay contest, and I got to go to Europe as a junior, and I went to London there on a Sunday where for 200 years in Hyde Park, there's a place called Speaker's Corner, and you could get up, and you can talk and rant about anything you want. And there's hecklers and ameners and all this kind of thing. So in every major city, there's kind of a place like the Boston Commons, where I'm also from there, that you can get up and do that kind of thing. And uh, that's what Paul did. He took advantage of that. Now, there were two groups of philosophers there. If you're interested, the Epicureans were there, and the Stoics were there. And they both had a reaction to what Paul was saying, and it wasn't favorable. Here's what the Epicureans believed. They followed a guy named Epicurus, right? And here's what his, his motto was, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Okay, they were the atheists who said, you know what? Life is about just going for the gusto, man. Go for it. Uh, uh, one life, whatever floats your boat, man, the highest good is pleasure, not absolute truth. Now, uh, Paul's going to tell them uh, that, yeah, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. And then Hebrews 9.27, for it is appointed unto men once to die, and then the judgment. So they're not going to be interested in, in what his babbling is all about. Now, the Stoics followed a guy named Zeno. 
And the Stoic, the word Stoic, comes from where Zeno used to preach from a porch. And in Greek, the porch is named Stoa. And that's where you get the word Stoic. And the Stoics just believed God was everywhere in the universe. You're God, the trees are God, the universe is God, and the universe is guiding you. Sound familiar? <laughs> it's still around today. Now, uh, their, their idea was just rise above it. We can do this. Grin and bear it. That was Stoicism. Now, Paul, what would Paul say to that? The gospel says, uh, they say, yes, we can. And the gospel says what? No, you can't. That's why he's called a savior, right? If you got it together and you can do this, then you don't need a savior, right? The very term savior implies that you're helpless, that you're in a jam, that you need some help, right? And most people don't see that until death's door. But even, even when they approach death's door, like one guy told me in the cancer ward where I unfortunately was as a patient next to me, I said, he told me, the doctor just came in and just said, you know, I probably have another month left. And I said, you know, excuse me, but you know, it might be a good time to just reflect about Jesus and the gospel. And he got all red faced and he said, why would I do that? I've lived my entire life saying that I can do this. I don't need God's help. Why would I turn now? I would be a hypocrite. And I said, well, what do you have to lose? You know, you're in there in a cancer ward. <laughs> you know, I mean, what's he going to get out of bed? No, it's not going to happen. So I just said to him, it wouldn't be hypocrisy. It would be wise. It would be wise. That's called repentance. The word meta noeo just means to turn. That's all he said, just turn. It doesn't sound that hard. So what was their reaction? They call him a babbler. What is this babbler trying to say? The word in the Greek for babbler is seed picker. So it's a pejorative term, it's an insult. It's saying he, he's like a little sparrow that comes and he picks a little here and here and here and then puts it together and builds his little nest and says, look what I can do, I'm smart. That's, so they hear this. but. You know how you kind of make fun of somebody when they're telling you something you don't want to hear? So, you know, my, uh, my approach to this is Paul the Apostle doesn't babble. Uh, you just don't like what he has to say, probably. Paul the Apostle's no babbler. And then secondly, they say, he seems to be advocating some foreign gods. Excuse me? <laughs> Paul the Apostle? I, I've got 14 of his books. I don't, I don't see any mention of a foreign, foreign gods, plural. Now, have you ever been in an argument with somebody uh, and they're, they're, they don't want to listen to what you have to say and you find yourself having to say, I didn't say that. I'm not saying that. What is that about? That's what happened here. He seems to be saying something about foreign gods. Paul would be saying... I'm not saying that. Why? You really don't want to hear what I am saying. That's why we always have to come back in an argument and say, that's not what I said. Why are you twisting the words? Well, I'm twisting the words because I don't like what I heard the first time. So I'm going to add an S and the word foreign. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Now, now I'm going to prove to you that what I just assumed is probably correct. If he's a babbler, how does he end up getting a spot at the Areopagus where all the big boys play? The Areopagus, <laughs> it's a hard one. You know what? Let's just call it Mars Hill because that's what it is. <laughs> Areopagus means hill of Ares or the god of Mars. Mars or Ares are the same. Uh, Mars is the Roman or the Latin form of Ares, which is the Greek form. But Areopagus means hill of Ares. Mars hill, hill of Mars. All right, so there's the rock. It's still there. At the bottom, there's a plaque with Paul's little sermonette that we're about to read and pick apart. 
You know, I could just see people, atheists over there saying, we're gonna get rid of that rock. <laughs> you know, because it's evidence. There's evidence everywhere that when you come across a name or a date or a war or a historical event or a famine or a flood or a position or a title, they're there. You can go and point. There it is. Now, how are you gonna get rid of that? It's gonna take a lot of dynamite. <laughs> you see? So... Now, my point, they haul him, the word can mean arrest. So these guys, the Epicureans and the Stoics, are listening to him, and they're saying, he's a babbler and we don't know what he's saying, then why would you bring him to the most important place where the, the governors, the philosophers, the educators, the professors, they all hang out there, and that's where they do business every day. How did you, why would you bring him there? If he's a babbler, ah, uh, you know why? Because you really know when you heard him that there's something very significant about what this man is saying and something very different because that's what they're gonna say later. You're bringing some strange things to our ears. So much for not being able to understand and so much for being a babbler. That's all I have to say. Let's move on. We'll, we'll read the sermon and then we'll be done. So then they took him and brought him, as I'll just kind of back up a little bit, to Mars Hill. And by the way, why do churches call themselves Mars Hill? Because of this sermon, how Paul crafted by the grace of God a sermon that met the culture where they're at and showed us how to bring the gospel into this kind of intellectual uh, setting. So churches like what happened at Mars Hill, and they call themselves Mars Hill. It's a very trendy name of churches now. So they take them to Mars Hill, and they say, you're bringing some strange ideas to our ears. We want to know what they mean. Uh, verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of Mar at, there at Mars Hill and said, men of Athens... I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. <laughs> it's so smart. Verse 24. Now, here he is. The God who made the world in everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and doesn't live in temples built by hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For now he's quoting a classic Greek poet. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, classic poet number two. We are his offspring. So therefore, since we are God's offspring, like your own poets have said, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now Christ has come. He commands all people everywhere to repent. There's that word again. 31. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by that man he has appointed, Jesus. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When, he, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council a few men, just a few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of Mars Hill, also a woman named Damaris, a, and a number of others. Okay, so a few comments here. We've gone from a hostile reaction 
to a grieved heart, to now an impassioned message. Let's take a look at this message because it, it's a model message. It's got a lot going on there. But first, indirectly, did you notice this? He, he's piqued their interest. So number one, you want to pique people's interest. And you don't have to do it intentionally. Just live out your Christian life and you'll do that. Because the Christian life is upside down to the way the world is. And so something that you will say or do will pique somebody's curiosity and they'll want to know more. The way you handled that situation, wow, you had this peace. Tell me more about that, you know? They're curious. We want to hear more. Something that they did that Paul was speaking about or something that Paul was doing made them want to know more. How about our lives? Are we like that? He's saying you're, you're bringing some strange stuff to our ears, strange things to our eyes. What kind of person are you? We heard somebody sued you for your shirt, and then you gave them your jacket. You know, somebody insulted you, said, hey, hey you missed the other side. You turned the other cheek. What's up with that? We heard you're loving your enemies. We heard that you forgave somebody who did you harm. We heard there's somebody in your congregation and he's sitting here today who forgave and stood up in a courtroom and looked into the eyes of the drunk driver who killed his mother and he said, I forgive you in the name of Christ. You're bringing some strange stuff to our ears. Can we, may we know more about that? Like, like what's up with that? Because I, I, that was not my initial reaction. It would not be my initial reaction if a drunk woman on her third offense took my mama away. That wouldn't be my first inclination, somebody might say. You're bringing some strange stuff, man. What is up with you? You know, a guy... I told you this before, the guy, my transmission was about to go. Uh, oh, it went. <laughs> and I went into this, this uh, auto shop, and he said, hey, man, you're, you're, your transmission's bad. We've got a brand new one for you. You're like 100 miles over the warranty. Just let me set it back. Uh, I'll get the business. You'll get a new transmission. Everybody will be happy. And I went, no, not everybody. <laughs> There's one person who won't be happy, and that would be the Lord Jesus Christ. Blank stare. <laughs> you're bringing some strength. Why would you? What, what's wrong with you, people? You're bringing some strange thing. God becoming a man by going through the womb of a virgin so that he can seek and save the lost by dying sinless, dying in your place on a cross, naked the God who made the wood for the cross and by his power holds the universe together. You're bringing some strange stuff. I, I've never heard that. Oh, please, the guys who always say all religion is the same. Just show me one religion in the world where God says you can do nothing, I'll do it all, just trust me and we're good. Show me that. There's not one religion in the world that has God on a cross, naked and bleeding, with his beard plucked out, and his back turned to hamburger for you. Religions are not all the same. You're bringing some strange stuff. May we know more. Or do they say about you, you're just like everybody else, nothing new, a lot of talk, but I don't see that strange thing where I'm like, whoa. <laughs> Explain that. Explain why, who, what, wow. Jesus said, sinners love those who love them. They give presents to those who give presents to them. How about you guys? Can you do a little bit more than that? How about giving presents to people who, who use you and are mean to you? Just knock them off their socks. One time I told you this a few Christmases ago, I worked at a college, and there was somebody who just really did, had something against Christianity and pastors and guys. <laughs> and uh, she did not like me, okay? I know that's hard for some of you to believe. <laughs> 
so for Christmas, I got her a big card and a Starbucks card. I gave it to her. She goes, what's this? I said, it's a Christmas card. She goes, why'd you put a Starbucks card in it? I said, because it's Christmas. <laughs> and she said, where'd you learn this? On Dr. Phil? <laughs> That's what she said. Did you, did you, are you trying like some experiment here? You know, I said, no, you know, I have a savior. I'm pretty happy about going to heaven. My sins are forgiven. I just feel good about Christmas. And I know there's been something between us and I'm just reaching out. She goes, really? It's kind of speechless. She pondered it. You bring in some strange stuff. And it, it, it makes me want to go home and go, now what, what get out a Bible and what is, what is wrong with these people, <laughs> right? <laughs> right, right, okay. So uh, I, 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 yeah, I need to move on. <laughs> Number two, know your audience. Just love this. He goes, look, I looked around. Your text says he paid careful, careful attention to the inscription. He, he's, he knows his stuff. He, he quotes their authors that they love. Hey, thanks for doing that. Hey, I see you guys are very religious. Can you see them nodding like, yeah, yeah we are. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, who's got statues like Athens? Nobody, right? I mean, look, it's a, you could meet a god before you met a human being. And they're like, yeah, that's right. You know? And then he's going, hey, but I noticed something about you guys, you got one there that says, whoops, in case we missed you out there, we don't want you to be offended, so this little statue's for you. Because we sense there might be somebody out there that we're missing, but we just don't know your name. Well, I'm here, he sent me here, that God sent me here to, to introduce you to him. Their altar was Paul's open door into their minds and hearts. Here's the takeaway. Notice stuff. Notice stuff about, hey, I see you're really struggling about the test. Can I tell you what helps me when, I, when I'm facing those kinds of pressures? There's a scripture I just love. Peace I give to you, said the Lord. Not like the world gives. I give you a different kind of peace. And I just have that around. It just gives me, you know, hey, I noticed you've been mentioning your marriage is struggling. I just noticed, I noticed that. So you go to where they are and just say, I've got an answer for your particular situation. That's what the wisdom there is. Uh, he didn't start with the uh, scripture. He started with their poets. You know what he did there? That would be like somebody saying to a young person today, hey, uh, hey, even Beyonce said you gotta have faith. Uh, do you see what I'm saying? Or, hey, you know, Brad Pitt said, you know, when you die, it can't be the end there. Yeah. Right? So even Brad Pitt or even Beyonce, that's all he did with the poets. Because what the poets said, what the poets said were, were vague, you know, a lot of Christians use that, by the way. They'll say, in him we live and move and have our being, right? But they don't know they're quoting a Greek poet. <laughs> uh, but, which is okay, because it's in line with scriptural thought, you know. <laughs> I just threw that in there for free. All right. So he says, uh, I'm here to introduce you. So let's just look at what he said about, the, he answers five questions. They're really fast. Uh, he says, he answers, who is he? Who is God? Who are we? What is our responsibility? What about the future? And how do we know it's true? That's his sermon. So what does he say? He says, who is God? He says, guys, this God, he made heaven and earth. He has no equal. And he created you and everything you see. And he gives life and breath to everybody. And he's determined the destinies of nations. Whoa. None of their gods around the pantheon of gods could say that they do all of that. He does all of that. So that's who God is. All right? Then who are we? Well, like your Greek uh, poets have said, we're his offspring. 
He, he created us. Therefore, listen to the implication. Therefore, you have an obligation to him. You didn't birth yourself. You didn't will yourself in existence. And you know that little... Yeah. No one knows where that electrical spark comes from. A little spark that you generates electricity in your human body causes this. And Paul says, he's the guy with the spark. He's the one who sends the message, breathe, breathe, breathe. That's the God I'm telling you about. You have an altar here, it's like to, I wonder who it is. I'm telling you, this God keeps your life going. That's who you are. You have an obligation. You're accountable to him. And then, what is our responsibility? The answer really quick, to know him, to worship him in truth. He said he, he put us in places uh, knowing that through creation and a conscience and the Holy Spirit that we'd reach out. And he's saying, hey, good news, Christmas message, great, great, good news of great joy. I'm going to get that right sooner or later. He's not near. He's not near. You can find him. That's the implication of the sermon. He's right here. This God you don't know, who made heaven and earth, who created you, who sustains your life, who holds the destiny of nations and souls in his hands. You can know him. He's not very far. In fact, he'll go on to say, he's a prayer away. He's a prayer away. He's near. And then what about the future? Oh, here's where he has to get a little... He has to confront a little bit. He says, God has set a day, and it's called Judgment Day, where he's going to judge the whole world, the whole world in your text. Yikes. A little motivation there to act. And how do I know it's true? Well, I know it's true because Jesus is no longer dead. He's not in the tomb. He's alive, and he's at work. He's changed my life. I was a former Pharisee. Uh, I hated Jesus, I killed Christians, but because there's a resurrection, Jesus is no longer dead, he's changed my heart. That's how you know that Jesus is alive and not dead and in working in the life right here in front of you. In fact, I've had a vision, Paul would say, perhaps. We don't have everything he said in the sermon, but we certainly have enough to get the gist. So what did he say? Here's what he said. God is the Almighty. He made you to know Him. He wants you to seek Him. He's near. All you need to do is turn because judgment is coming and Jesus is alive and made a way out of judgment. The whole message of Christmas is I paid the bill, I don't want you to have to pay. That's the message. God is near. Well, the gospel fell flat. There are a few people who came uh, to... L- listen, I don't know if I have the slide. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18 through 21. All right, let's read that. I'll read it to you. Now, here are these smart guys. They've all been educated, and they've had this wisdom, but they'd rather worship reptiles. That's what Romans chapter 1 says. They've exchanged professing... Listen... Professing to be wise, they became fools and worshipped created things rather than the creator, right? So here are these guys. Now, here's what's wrong with the wisdom of the world. For the message of the cross is foolishness. It doesn't make sense to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Now, God is saying, listen, you think you're real smarter than me? Well, that's not going to work. The intelligence of the intelligent, I'll frustrate. So Paul's saying, where is the wise man? Where's the scholar? Where's the philosopher of this age? Hasn't God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. He didn't say foolish preaching saves anybody, right? He says that preaching a God who would condescend and come down, lay down his life for the sins of the world. You know, 
I'm saying God, but it's God the Son. Can you imagine those of you who've had a son, a precious son, holding your precious son and giving him up as an offering for people who hate, not only hate you, don't want anything to do with you, but are just evil. And just saying, I'm going to give, think of your kid looking in his eyes. That little baby, the baby smell after a bath, you know, just get, get the whole thing, all right? <laughs> and you're going to give him away so that someone else can be saved and reconciled to you. That's great. That's a great love. It doesn't make sense. Don't let the illogical love of God cause you to forfeit the grace that can be yours. You know what they say? And I love this. They say, um, they sneer, you know, roll their eyes again. And the other crowd says a polite dismissal. Oh, we'll hear you again some other time. Now, now some people say, oh, look, it's openness. But the scholars say it's worded in such a way as it's a polite no thank you. Uh, And I thought of this. You know, have you been to the car, uh, a car, an auto dealer, and you want to buy a car, and then you decide, you know what, I'm in a, in a bad place. And, but you've spent two and a half hours, and this guy's been going back and forth with the, bed, the bad guy behind the screen, you know, and he comes back, and he's giving you favors, and you, know, and you start to feel obligated. It's been two and a half hours. And, but you've decided, no, this is it. I'm out of here. What do you say? Well, what did I say? <laughs> I say, let me think about it. Oh, I decided 10 minutes ago, no way on this planet Earth am I signing that paper. No way. Let me think about it. You know what, dude? Hey, I got to go get my wife. I'll come back tomorrow with my wife. You know, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking I might, you know, I might, but you know, you know how we are. That's what they did. And guess what? They didn't get a next day. Oh, we'll hear you again sometime. No, you won't. He, he leaves. He never comes back. You may hear the gospel somehow, but you'll never again get to hear it through those, those babbling lips. And it would be those lips, if any, to be anointed enough to get you a message that would save your soul. But you missed it. Why? One writer said, and you need, you need more information than there's a God and it's not you and he made heaven and earth and he keeps you alive and he created you and he wants you to turn to him so that you're not judged for your sins. You know what? If you did hear him again the next day, guess what, what you'd find out? <laughs> He'd say the same thing because that's the gospel. He'd elaborate, but what about the simple message? There's a God, it's not you. He made the earth, he made the universe, he loves you, he created you. But you're a sinner, you sin all the time, and someday there's a judgment of everybody. But God judged himself and said, listen, I bore your penalty, your death penalty, I bore it. So come to me, free of charge, and I'll make you a new person. Do it, do it, do it. Do it. There's the voices. I remember in my head, 19 years old, I'm like, oh, I should do this. I should do this. And then on the other side, just like the cartoon, and another voice, don't do it. <laughs> it's so funny because it really sounds like that. It's like, yeah, no, kind of thing. Listen, I, I've told this story before. I'll wrap up with this about may, striking while the iron is hot. Why you have opportunity? These folks did not, and they may have lived to regret it. Uh, I've, as I said, I've, you've heard this story. Listen, I like it. I've got to tell it again. Uh, I'm driving home. We lived in Sebastopol and uh, driving by this florist that's in front of the Safeway there on Main Street, right? And the, the florist had this PR thing they would do. They put out a sign and it would say, if your name is Robert, come in for your free rose. 
And so every day the change, the name would change. You know, Dolores and Mark and Carlos and Barbara. Well, one day I'm driving by and it says, if your name is Ross, come in for your free rose. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, Ross is not a common name. I would never expect to see Ross. What are you talking about, Ross? You know, so I, I slowed down and pulled into Safeway across the street. And I turned around and made a U-turn. Now I'm facing the sign that says, if your name is Ross. I'm just marveling at it. <laughs> my name is in lights, man. There it is. I'm going to go in and get my rose, and I'm going to go home and say, honey, I was thinking about you today. <laughs> <laughs> that gets a laugh every time I say it. <laughs> so... For some strange reason, I just thought, oh, it's just a tad cheesy. I just imagined parking, walking over, going, hi, hi, bros. <laughs> Taking out my wallet, going, e. <laughs> I just, there's something about it, just kind of right at the last second, I went, is it really worth a little? And it's probably going to be wilted and all of this. And they'll probably charge me something for something, you know. The next day I walked, I, I drove by, it was, you know, Steve. And I was like, and I started playing this game in my head. Parking and walking in and going, hey man, I'm Ross. Yesterday, you're that sign. He goes, yeah, 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 we had your name out there yesterday. Yeah, I know, but I don't know. I just pictured it was too cheesy. But now I see, oh, that, that looks pretty nice in there, the baby's breath, and you get the vase too. Oh, you didn't say you get the vase too, <laughs> you know? Beautiful, I'd, li I'd like to have it. it it'll be $49.99. What you talking about, $49? I'm Ross. <laughs> yeah, that was yesterday. Today, Stephen. What do you mean? Come on. I, I drove by. I saw it, man. I saw it. I pulled over. I stopped. I was, do you want to know how far I was from you, you know? I have friends. Here, let me, do you see where I'm going with this? I got friends, man. I got a family who've been in here. I grew up right near this forest. I've worked here part time. <laughs> Three summers ago, you don't remember me? We're the owners. We set a time. We said, from this day, 9 a.m. until 5 p.m., all the Rosses in the whole universe could come in and get a free gift. But, sir, I'm sorry. It's past that time. Matthew 25. And then I tell you, Jesus said, he closes the door and locks it. And then he says, many will come to the door and knock and say, let us in too. And he will say, Jesus speaking, Matthew 25, check it out. Not my words, not a church's word, just the Bible. Go away. I never knew you. They say, what do you mean you never knew us? You were in our streets, man. We lived down the street. We played with kids. My sister, your brother. I was in the synagogue. I did good deeds. Remember? I fed that old lady. Come on. Whatever. Depart from me. I didn't know you. The door was open your whole life. And when the breath leaves your body, the door's closed. Because you know why? Because everybody knows. When, you, when the breath is gone and the heart stops, you're in full knowledge of God. You don't need faith anymore. See, I think that if everybody could see the Lord, then God would never know who's really interested and who's not. But since we have to do it by faith, he knows who really does love him and who really does believe. Once the trumpet sounds, everybody's a believer, right? Now's the opportunity. So he says in 1 Corinthians, Paul, today, if you hear his voice, 
Do not even think about hardening your heart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, your grace, your goodness, your mercy. Lord, I, I just pray for those who are seeking you. They have a little altar to an unknown God just in case it's there in their hearts and in their minds. They're an agnostic. They don't know. But Lord, they, they did hear the gospel and, and I pray that you just help them to sort it out in their own hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, closing song. I might ask you guys to do that again. <laughs> wow. That was awesome. I got two people I want to talk to. One, if you're here, you're not a Christian, but you came because, you know, your family and, you know, it's the Christmas thing to do. <laughs> Welcome. We are glad you're here. And uh, I just want to say, I want to give you one exhortation. If you heard something that you felt like, wow, that's true. I, you know, given the whole complicated thing, I feel like I, I got spoken to. Then you, in the privacy of your own heart, sometime today, now would be nice. Just acknowledge that to God, and he'll handle the rest of it. You don't have to know the whole deal, but just know God spoke to your heart, and you want to respond. That's all I'm saying. Don't wait. Tomorrow, it'll be cold. You'll forget everything except that beautiful song. All right? And to the Christian. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Don't be so intimidated. Don't be so afraid. Or people are not going to like you. They already don't. <laughs> I, I didn't mean it like that. Uh, they're already not real happy with the... Uh, you're excited and moved. Well, God bless you. Come on over here. I'm going to pray. Okay, we're going to pray now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your Holy Spirit that touches hearts and for this young man who's been moved and uh, he wants to, Lord, strike while the fire's hot and he wants to, to make a, a profession of faith perhaps and we just pray that you meet him where he's at, minister to him and for all those that I was speaking to, Lord, just in the privacy of their own hearts to believe, to trust turn to have life this Christmas be the best Christmas ever and for Christians Lord we pray for the boldness we need to just step out preach the gospel the way it is and let the chips fall where they may we trust our friends and family to you this Christmas may we be a blessing to others Lord help us we pray in Jesus name and all God's people said Amen. We'll see you tonight, 6 o'clock, with sweet and savory potluck. God bless you.